Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based on the west side of Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictive compulsive behaviors. Welcome to my podcast, named after my recent book, It's Not About the Sex. Here we have honest conversations related to compulsive sexual behavior and trauma, all from a sexual health perspective. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints and practical strategies toward establishing greater intimacy and a more deeply connected life. Let's begin. Nate Larkin is the founder of the Samson Society and the author of Samson and the Pirate Monks, Calling Men to Authentic Brotherhood. He is a graduate of St. Lawrence University and Princeton Theological Seminary. He is also a recovering porn and sex addict. In 2004, Nate and several of his friends formed a mutual aid society for Christian men called the Samson Society. He is the co-host of two podcasts, the Pirate Monk Podcast and the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Nate and his wife, Allie, live in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee. So welcome, Nate. I'm, I'm so glad that you could be with us today. Oh, I was thrilled to get the invitation. It's an honor to be with you. Well, it's my pleasure. And I really wanted you to, to be on this podcast because it was such a pleasure being on your podcast. And, <laughs> and so this is like a, a, a trade, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you get me alone. You don't get Aaron this time. So we'll just see where the conversation goes. Okay. Well, if you want to fill in any blanks and pretend okay. that Aaron's All right. with us, that works. For All right. Me as well. I'll supply some gratuitous expletives and uh, we'll. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Okay. All right. Well, again, thanks for being with us. And I, I just wanted to mention that you came up with the topic for today, which is called the role of community in recovery, the role of community yeah. in recovery, which I, I, I love the topic. And just to get started, can, can you share a little bit about how you came up with that idea, that topic for today? Well, uh, that was the first huge revelation for me when I got into recovery, uh, because I was not thinking community at all when I walked into my first, when I crawled into my first 12-step meeting mm. uh, on the second attempt. It took me two attempts to actually make it into the room. And I came with one agenda. Um I came to get the secret information, right? Mm -hmm. So I'd spent years looking for the, you know, the final piece of the puzzle, you know, the key insight, uh, the magic routine, whatever it was that would allow me finally to overcome this compulsion on my own. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'd, I'd spent years, you know, begging God for a private solution to my private problem mm. and, so, so I, my intention was, I've always been a good student and I knew there had to be, you know, secret information. And these maybe were the people who had it. And uh, my plan was to set the land speed record for recovery. Just get in, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. you know learn, learn quickly and then, you know, pass the exam and get the trophy or the diploma or the green jacket or whatever uh -huh. it is they give you. Right. And then go on and forget that this sad chapter of my life. Uh, had ever happened. Uh, I was I take it, it I didn't, didn't go that way. I, I take no, it. no, which is why 
I uh, relapsed. But one of the main reasons that I relapsed like a champ for the first couple of years, because although I made a, a production out of following the rules to get a sponsor, for example, mm-hmm. I, I was always my own sponsor. Mm. You know, I found somebody I could spin and then I gave them highly edited versions of my day. And meanwhile, I was just hiding like crazy. Of course, you know, my problem was largely shame driven. Mm -hmm. And shame tells me I have to hide. Mm -hmm. Sure. And if and if to defeat shame, I have to let somebody see me. Then there's no alternative to community. Uh, and what I what I found was attending those meetings, and it took it took time for me to stop speaking in code, to uh, to start talking in the present tense instead of the past tense, really mm-hmm. to become vulnerable. I gained a lot of courage from watching other men do it. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely terrifying the first time. You know, I said, you know, I'm Nate, <laughs> and I'm a sex addict. I mean, that was just almost impossible to say. Sure. But I did find over time that that attending that meeting, which is where community began, of course, then the issue was what happens between the meetings. But the first big step was the meeting. That turned out to be the best shame reduction therapy available, at least to Mm -hmm. me. And Mm -hmm. I I still think that's the case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. So what I hear is that you came into the rooms terminally unique. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And little by little by little, through a relapse and, and through absorbing whatever you could, maybe mm-hmm. sometimes slowly, sometimes surely, but but in a way that eventually you said, yeah, this thing called community mm-hmm. is part of what's going to help me stay sober. Right, right. And it's and it was a different kind of community. So I'd grown up in a religious home. I'd grown up in a Christian culture and a Christian community. I'd always been highly visible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was known as a very gregarious person. I had lots of friends. I was well known, but nobody knew me. Mm-hmm. And it was that part of me that I kept hidden that, uh, you know, that's where all the sickness was festering and leaking into other parts of my life. But I was, I was, <laughs> I was suffering under the illusion that I had community, but yeah. all of my relationships were about a quarter of an inch deep. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So, and mm-hmm. no, I was just going to say, Nate, that, that really the community you were talking about in, in 12 step in recovery has depth to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and yeah. so say more about, about this correlation between isolation and addiction. Yeah, I, for me, uh, I, I do believe that um, what drove, I can speak personally from my own behavior, mm-hmm. uh, my own experience, what drove most of my acting out was either shame or fear or a combination of both. Uh, it was a fear of being seen. It was a fear of being uh, not seen, <laughs> right? Mm, sure. Uh, sure. Um, so I had become a master at creating an appealing persona and playing to the expectations of the room in order to get validation. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but of course, the validation when it came, the applause felt good in the moment. But it didn't last because it didn't mean anything, because they weren't mm -hmm. applauding me. They were applauding mm -hmm. the persona I had created. The performance. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and what I did notice was because I was in a room with other addicts, many of whom had done the same thing, mm -hmm. my act didn't play very well in that room. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they saw through it. They endured it, but then they would invite me into a deeper conversation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they would do it just implicitly by, you know, after, you know, I did my little stand-up bit, whatever it was I'd rehearsed for the meeting. Somebody then just cannonballed into the deep end of the pool with something honest and raw and vulnerable and courageous. Mm -hmm. And it left me, uh, I, 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 of course, it would trigger my shame. You know, why couldn't I be that honest? But at the same time, inspired me to think, maybe one day I could do that too. Yeah, yeah. I'm a timid soul. It took me a while to get there. But it sounds like eventually you saw the cannonball and, yeah. and said, I want some of that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I was inspired. And then I found out it felt good. It felt damn good. Mm. Uh, and I probably, you know, eventually the pendulum swung a little bit too far. <laughs> and I would, you know, I would say things that were appropriate in the rooms, mm. in other rooms and at other times when they were not particularly appropriate. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of enjoyed the thrill of being that vulnerable, breaking the rules that mm -hmm. nobody had, uh, breaking the unstated rules in polite society. Mm -hmm. But here's the other thing I've noticed. So I've learned to modulate that. Mm -hmm. I can be vulnerable. I can be honest without, you know, without pulling out all the stops. And, and what I do find is that uh, other lonely people in the room mark what I have said. And even if they don't respond in the moment, it might take a day, it might take a week, it might take a month, it might take a year, but they come back around because they mark me as a safe person. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And so, and that, and then I get the phone call and I get to do what I love to do, which is take somebody on their first walk. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. So, so just to highlight what you're saying, it sounds like you finally were able to receive and then mm -hmm. once you received, eventually you really wanted to give back what you received. Yeah, right. Yeah, Beautiful. absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one of the things I think you're touching on is that there's a lot of loneliness in, in the 12-step mm. rooms. And yes. well, there's a lot of loneliness in the world, actually. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm wondering, why would a lonely man who's struggling, let's say, with some kind of compulsion, compulsive sexual behavior, mm -hmm. not join a group? What, what, why would they be resistant to that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think my loneliness was self-created. Um, I'm a, I, it's, I don't know whether I, I'm classically correctly categorized as an introvert or an extrovert. I think I'm probably an ambivert. I, uh, I, I am comfortable in a room in a crowd, as long as people don't get too close and I get some time to go and recharge. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, even you know, during my years of active addiction, when I also had a large, I was well known and had a large group of friends, surface friends. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't allow anybody to know me deeply or see me deeply, that loneliness never went away. And I medicated the loneliness with, you know, artificial stimulation or commercial stimulation. So I'm, I'm using porn, I'm using hookers. It's, you know, let's find a way to emulate intimacy if only for a few moments. And mm-hmm. then that that hollow experience always left me even lonelier because that too was false. Um, the reason I kept myself hidden was because I was so deeply ashamed of myself and my behavior. Um, and the idea of letting somebody actually see that part so terrifying. And uh, I, I would join all kinds of groups, but this kind of group, <laughs> that was a terrifying group. Mm-hmm. We weren't mm-hmm. going, you know, we weren't going to go bowling or hunting or whatever it else, you know, the other things we did. Mm-hmm. This, this was different, but it was exactly what I needed. But man, was it scary. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So any advice for, for someone who is in similar shoes to what yeah. you were describing in terms mm-hmm. of finding their way in, into a, a 12-step group that works for them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my first attempt to go to the meeting failed. I sat in my car while other people went inside. I couldn't find the courage to get there. And I was on my second attempt, about to drive away for the second time, when I saw a guy I recognized, a guy from church, a guy mm-hmm. who I heard speak. And, uh, you know, he seemed comfortable in his own skin. He seemed appro- he seemed approachable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was somebody I knew that helped get me through the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, another way that some people are finding their way these days is we're, we're kind of redeeming uh the technology that caused so much damage in our mm-hmm. lives is uh, it's very easy in the Samson Society and some other uh, organizations now to make your first visit to one of these groups in a virtual meeting. You're, you're mm-hmm. signing in from the safety of your own home. Mm-hmm. You're signing with people who don't live, don't go to the, aren't in your social circle, don't live in the same town, maybe not the same state, maybe not the same country, uh, but people who are grappling with dealing with uh and uh, having the adventure of recovering from something like what you're doing so that's another way in it's a very easy way in now mm-hmm. that's a great point and i just want to add to that that when somebody attends a meeting whether it's in person or virtual just suiting up and showing up is enough you don't yeah, even have yeah. to share you don't even have to right. show your face on, on virtual meetings. Some mm-hmm. meetings will yeah. allow you just to, to listen. Yeah. So yeah. all kinds of options nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. So let's turn, talk a moment about groups that you would consider to be healthier recovery groups. What, what, what does that look like? What, what characteristics do they have? Uh, well, I think the, there are groups that are focused entirely monomaniacally on obliterating 
a certain behavior, usually for a moralistic reason. Mm. Uh huh. Uh, those uh, I tried some of those during my years of active addiction, uh, but the rules for conformity were very high. You had to adopt their way of seeing the world, their way of understanding truth. You had to adopt their vocabulary, mm-hmm. and and there was not much of a margin for failure. Mm-hmm. If you did report a failure, you were going to get. A lecture, you're going to get reproof, you're going to correct it, you were going to, <laughs> and if you persisted, uh, you were going to get the left foot of fellowship, you're going to be shown the door, right? Mm, right, uh, right. Those are not safe recovery groups. Mm-hmm. Those that, that that's uh, that's you know, that's behavior modification, uh, in militant form, and uh, a healthy recovery group, in my estimation. Mm-hmm. is one where you can bring who you really are, be who you are, say where you are, uh, say what you think. Uh, it's real important, especially in the beginning stages of recovery, that you're in a meeting where there isn't any crosstalk, mm-hmm. right? Where you're listened to and mm-hmm. you learn to listen. Uh, it helped me, actually. So I grew up in the church. I'd actually uh, uh, I'd gone to seminary. I'd spent a few years as a pastor. Those were long over by the time I made it into the first meeting. But I was still always active in church. Um, it was good for me to go to a 12-step group that was not a Christian group. One which where I was temporarily deprived of my had answers, my vocabulary, <laughs> it was still a belief in God. It was it mm. was theistic, but um, uh, and I was pulled out of those ruts because I'd been trying the same solutions over and over and over again for years, and they hadn't mm. gone anywhere. And I'd master. I walked into these meetings thinking I've got a master's degree in God. What are these people going to teach me about a higher power or right. about a faith walk? Right. 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 And to have that taken off the table. Sure. I'll tell you what, God got bigger, my spiritual life, which to be honest, was all but dead when I'm, mm-hmm. I was still going mm-hmm. through the motions. I was still throwing, uh, but there wasn't any vitality to it. I was mm-hmm. just sm- smothered by my behavior. So anyway, but here was a group where I could report a failure every week and nobody blinked and nobody kicked me out. I got sympathy. Uh, you know, eventually I got a sponsor. Uh, <laughs> uh, my first few sponsors, as I think I said, were guys I knew I could spin, right? Mm. And finally, somebody said, if you really want to get sober, you're going to have to get a son of a bitch for a sponsor. <laughs> right? Um, a guy who w- he was going to love you, but he's not going to pull up. He's not going to, he's going to see through your bullshit. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and when he says, call me, he wants you to mm-hmm. freaking call him, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. But at the same time, so I, you could get fired by a sponsor, but you couldn't get kicked out of the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that was such a safe place. I'd never been in a place that safe in my life. <laughs> what I hear, Nate, is you had to reach a certain level of humility. Yes, and- in order to let go of the song and dance yeah, and in order to really listen 
and yeah. and eventually to find someone who would sponsor you that that you would you, you my guess is you wanted something that they had right that yeah, they exactly they were, they were a role model the other yeah. piece i'm hearing you talk about which is such a vital piece to 12 step in general is is that when we're talking about the so-called process addictions like sex and food and money mm -hmm. and video mm -hmm. games etc it has to be harm reduction there's no such mm -hmm. thing as putting the the plug in the jug right yes and and yeah. so i'm hearing you talk about that and it's important for our listeners to to understand once again we talk about this from time to time but how vital it is to really hear the words progress not perfection not perfection yeah absolutely absolutely you know, I was I was lured into a false sense of security in, in the first few weeks of recovery because I experienced what the what the alcoholics call the pink cloud, right? Just this euphoria of actually, I, you know, I found I was reading the books and they were coming alive, and I meet people, and I still hadn't told the truth to anybody. Uh, I'm a guy who sold recovery long before I owned it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, and because I didn't, I didn't want to believe that it's progress, not perfection. Mm. That first relapse was devastating to me. Mm. And I hid it for quite a while. Mm. Ashamed to even admit that uh -huh. I'd done what I'd done. Yeah. Now, I've since come to believe that relapse, while it is not inevitable, there are a few unicorns out there who actually, you know, from their first meeting, actually, that's, that's their <laughs> sobriety date, you know? Right, right it's not inevitable, but it is normal. I do believe that sure. relapse for most of us is a normal part because I learned through failure. I learned through pain. I learned that that strategy where I tried to negotiate with the process mm -hmm. and customize it to my own intellect desires and uh, to work around my own trauma. So I don't have to confront it, whatever I'm doing to, you know, uh, so I have to fail. I got to come back and, and the door is always open. That's a healthy group. Mm -hmm. The door is always open right. and I don't lose status. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Nope. Nope. Yeah. You're being fully yourself. And, yeah. and, and I couldn't agree more. I think relapse or slips, whatever mm -hmm. variation we're talking about are learning opportunities. Yes. And, yeah. and if, if somehow we're punished or we punish ourselves or we get shamed, or we shame ourselves, it defeats the purpose because yes, it's not the mistake that counts, it's how you deal with it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So tell me, as a result of all this time and effort and hard work mm -hmm. you put, put in through the years, how mm -hmm. have your relationships and, and life in general changed over the course of your recovery? Well, my relationships you know, this has a cascading effect. Um, I actually thought that I was a pretty damn good husband and my wife was really lucky to have me. And her clinical depression was entirely her problem. I had nothing to do with it. Uh, you know, uh, so I just, just, and during the process of, uh, recovery, learning that, you know, I remember when my first sponsor said, you know, Nate, your biggest problem is you think that sex is your problem, right? Mm -hmm. Sex is not your problem. It's a big problem. 
you have to stop it. You can't stop on your own. You need help. We're here to help. God's going to help you. He's probably going to use us. But if you think that you're stopping that behavior, if, if nothing else changes, you're going to be happy. You're nuts. Because he said, sex isn't your problem. Sex is your favorite solution. It's the medication that you've been using all these years to numb the pain caused mm -hmm. by your deeper problems. So we're in for a full makeover here. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I thought there's just one part of my life I've got to fix and one part of my, you know, and then everything's going to be rosy. Mm -hmm. And now during the process of recovery, I, I uh, have to confront my pride, for example, my son of a bitch sponsor identified pr pride as my primary character defect, to use the language of 12 step recovery, mm -hmm. gave me an assignment of reading chapter seven of the, of the 12 and 12 which starts on page 70 and goes to page 77 and is all about humility. Read it every day. Um, now, as I, as I began to see and acknowledge my own arrogance and pride and the way in which ways in which I had just blown past my wife in our relationships. And she, I had treated her in so many ways as, incompetent or irrelevant. I always had to be the smartest guy in the room. I'm the guy who's got to make the decisions. I'll tell you what, um, that had a profound effect upon my, my primary relationship, my marriage. <laughs> I remember, I remember it, it was a uh, fourth step time and I'm having to do a fearless moral inventory. Mm. So, uh, Allie and I, it's, it's tense in the house. She hasn't left. Uh, she's not attacked me. We're living, we're, we're cohabitating. She's very hurt and she's very suspicious. And there's, she doesn't believe, she's seen me turn over so many leaves. She doesn't believe this is going to, this is going to work. It's not going to stick. It's not going to happen. He's never stuck to anything. And I, I don't have a track record of sticking to things, but recovery stuck to me. At any mm -hmm. rate, I, uh, it's four step time. I asked her to come and sit with me on the porch. And I said, um, I have to do this fearless moral inventory. Uh, so I have to make a list of my assets and my deficiencies, my character, my strengths and weaknesses of character. And I'm wondering if you can help me with my defects. Hmm. Okay. And she was, she, she didn't jump right in because she was gun shy. Because my pattern was, I was very, very sensitive to criticism. Mm. just the hint of a critical statement. And mm -hmm. I could flip on her so fast. So she just tentatively offered one. And, uh, and I said, thank you. And I wrote it down. Another one. And she became quite enthusiastic about the project uh, in short order. Uh, <laughs> and it was, it was, <laughs> it was, it was painful, but at the same time, it was liberating. And mm -hmm. Allie will say that that is the first time that she entertained the thought that maybe this marriage was salvageable and maybe this guy actually could change. Mm -hmm. uh, the experience changed my relationships with my children. My children were all adults by the time I got into recovery. Uh they, I had cultivated an image with them, what they bought, which was, I was 10 feet tall. I was the smartest guy in the room. And, and, uh, you know, mom was the weak, you know, I, I would, I would find ways to demean their mother in front of them. Mm -hmm. They would join in. It was mm -hmm. very painful to my wife. 
right? She would smile and bear it, but it was it was terrible. Uh, part of making amends to my wife was, first of all, to tell that truth to my kids and then to tell the whole story of their dad. And, mm. uh, and uh, I'll tell you what, it changed their view of their mother. It changed their view of me. I thought that I would lose their respect. And strangely enough, I didn't. Hmm. Um, and the beautiful thing is that my conversations with my kids from then on became much deeper. Hmm. They tell me things now they never would have told me during when I was all bright and shiny. Sure. So the intimacy really took shape yeah. after yeah. you came into recovery. Yeah. Sure. And I have found that I have, I have a few friends and deep friendships and I have long conversations on a daily basis. At least I have a one hour conversation with at least one guy every day. And they're, mm. it's, and it's this, you know, it's, they're my core, my team guys. And I also find, as I'm sure you find in your work as a therapist, when you're a safe person, and you offer somebody the opportunity to go deep, and the time is right, uh, you can go really deep real fast, which is something that never happened during my years as a pastor. You know, hmm. <laughs> uh, people never went that deep with me. I was too imposing, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So interesting, because coming back to the original topic today, Nate, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really taken with this idea of community and I, for some reason, was seeing concentric circles. So the internal uh -huh. circle is the twelve-step recovery, and yeah, then yeah. it's like the 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 stone in the still pond, right? And mm -hmm. and then and then there's family and friends, and yeah. then maybe there's extended spiritual religious community, and then there's professional community. There's all these yeah. folks yeah. who have been yeah. part of one's life, but like you said, there's this this makeover that. Yes all of a sudden creates this other lens of, well, wait a second, what's really real here? What's going to support mm -hmm. my recovery? How can I be of service out there? Yes. And yeah. how yeah. is that going to really be in a, a community upon community upon community? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's a wonderful progression. It really mm -hmm. is. For sure, mm -hmm. for sure. So I have one last question that I always like to ask, which is this, yeah. if there was one or two things, one or two items that you would really like our listeners to take with them from this conversation, mm -hmm. what would it be? Yeah. Um, life is a team sport, not an individual event. Um, and you know, uh, vulnerability can be terrifying. I was convinced that if people knew who I really am, uh, they would run. Mm -hmm. And I found that it's true. They do run, but they run at me, not away from me. There is something attractive. So uh, we're all aching for authentic connection. I believe we're built for connection. I think it goes all the way back to the tribal roots. We are... Uh, you know, we're, we're a, com we've survived as a species because of community. <laughs> None right. of us can survive alone. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet we find ourselves increasingly isolated in modern life uh, with this illusion of self-sufficiency, which is an illusion. 
Now, just because I can stay alive without involving other people in my life doesn't mean I'm living. If I really want to live, I have to connect deeply with other people. And that connection is only possible if I let them see me. And so that starts, find a safe community. It isn't safe to show your true self, just to walk out. There are some places that aren't safe to do that, but there are many places that are. And you'll find, as I have found, that uh, if you'll be yourself, get some help for the shame and the fear, the trauma reactions and all that kind of stuff so that you can be yourself in social situations. Uh, you'll find that you have a team. Uh, I am carried, and I, <laughs> I say this often, you know, I, I'm carried in, in life by the same men who carry me in death. Mm. Uh, I know who's going to carry my casket. Mm. and uh and we're walking together through life it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing and i'm so glad to be out of that prison of that splendid isolation where i always had to have the answers and i always had to have my shit together and i always had to be the smartest guy in the room mm -hmm. well on that note i i just love what you ended with that life mm -hmm. is truly a team sport and, and I think even in the 12 step rooms, I think sometimes that's forgotten. Mm -hmm. And so the reminder is super powerful and really reminds me and all of us who, who are listening to this, that, that we get to lean on others. We don't have to do this thing called life yeah. by ourselves. Yeah. And, um, I, I find myself um, kind of warm and fuzzy with this conversation and with talking mm -hmm. with you, Nate, because it, it just resonates so deeply. And I mm. really, really appreciate you being with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. It was wonderful sharing the time with my colleague and friend, Nate Larkin, and discussing this really significant topic. He can be reached through his website at samsonsociety.org, S-A-M-S-O-N society.org. If you're so inclined, please give us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe and share my podcast with those who may benefit. I look forward to you joining us the next time. And don't forget to stay connected.